Welcome to IBBA Insights, providing expert advice on buying or selling small businesses. IBBA Insights is presented by the International Business Brokers Association, the world's largest nonprofit organization for those helping others sell or buy businesses. Now, here's your host, Chris Diglio. Hello, and welcome to IBBA Insights. I'm your host, Chris Diglio. And it's hard to believe we're in our fifth season of the show. Feels like just yesterday we started. I want to thank the IBBA, the International Business Brokers Association, for providing this platform to bring relevant, timely, and interesting topics to the show. I'd say each and every time, but each and every year, each and every season that we go out there. Uh, today, if you're listening, you might want to take notes on today's show, or you might have to listen to it a couple of times to digest all the information that's going to be crammed into the next 30 minutes or so. But we're going to be talking today about the 2021 tax code how it affects business owners, business brokers, and everyone involved in the sale of a business. And let's face it, it's a full-time job trying to keep up what's really going on on a day-to-day basis when it comes to the tax code. All the myths and misconceptions are out there, and depending on who you speak to, you get a different story. So my goal today is to clear up any of those misconceptions when it pertains to the tax code and give us a clear uh, understanding of what's actually taking place. And what better way to do that than talk to two of the leading experts in the United States when it comes to tax strategies and strategic planning. My guests today are Roman Basie and Dr. Bart Basie. Dr. Bart Basie is a senior advisor to the Center for Financial, Legal, and Tax Planning, Inc. Dr. Basie is an attorney and CPA and has a PhD in economics. Dr. Basie is also one of the tax instructors, tax course instructors for the Internal Revenue Services Annual Filing Season Program for Tax Preparers throughout the United States. Roman Basie is the current president of the Center for Financial, Legal, and Tax Planning. Roman practices in the areas of business succession, mergers and acquisitions, retirement and estate planning, real estate, corporation structures, tax aspects of business decisions for closely closely held and family businesses, trademark applications, trademark oppositions, and patent applications. Translation, he he, like his father, is also a CPA, and additionally, Roman has a master's uh, in business administration, and is a managing real estate broker and title insurance agent. So, Dr. Basie and Roman, please welcome, welcome to the show. I appreciate you taking time to be on today. Thank you. Pleasure to be here with you. No, this yeah, isn't thanks. exactly. Great to be back with you guys. No, no, it's, you've been on before, Roman. So I appreciate. It. And this isn't exactly a slow time of year for you, as the date of recording. Uh, this is a pretty important tax day when it comes to businesses. So I I do appreciate you both taking time to, to be on the on the show today. Thank you very so, much. Yes, today is a extremely busy day for us. So it's a great time to talk about all this. But and it's it's great to, to be with you, but a great time to talk about this and hopefully we stay this busy as the year continues. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go through some of the things that I hear from our listeners, um, the the questions they have and that come across my email and my phone and and in talking points. So we're just going to dive right into it. Um, And let's start off by talking about the current marketplace. You know, what are you both seeing in the current marketplace as far as activity level with the sale of businesses? Go ahead, Roman. You know, to me, okay, yep, this is Roman. And to me, this is the busiest activity level that I have in the 24 years that I've been working side by side with my father, the end of 2020 
and the beginning of 2021 has seen the busiest market activity in the M&A field that I, I believe both of us have ever seen. My father and I are currently working on over 150 million in transactions as we record this program today. I can honestly sit here and say that has never, ever happened. And Chris, these are transactions, uh, the size all the way down to Main Street deals that are $100,000, $100, all the way up to large transactions that are 40 and 50 million. And it's across all industries. So by far, the, the, the highest activity level with sale of businesses that we've ever seen. If, if you don't mind, I, I would ask, you know, why? I mean, I know we just went through an election in the United States and we had a changeover as far as who was in charge. Uh, and there were a lot of, you know, thoughts and fears and a lot of talk going on. But what, what do you believe has led to this, this increased activity level? And Dad, let me answer this one because I do believe that, and, and I know my father, he has a PhD in economics, so he can probably answer this better than I can. But my, <laughs> my impression is this. It's due to, I believe, the low interest rates that we still see today, the availability of funding that is still out there. You know, four or five years ago, we had this big push from the SBA, and we had this big push from equity groups across the country, and those funds are still available. There's still small pressure on inflation, but I believe as a real estate broker also that that's going to change quickly because the inventory levels of real estate are so low, prices are climbing, our supply of goods across the country and across the globe is extremely low, so prices are rising. So with the increased pressure on price increases, I believe we're going to start to see increased pressure on interest rates that are going to start to rise eventually over the next six to 12 months. And that could start to slow the activity level in the marketplace. But look, when you look at all of those factors combined, I think that's what's driving our market. Yep. The only thing I can add to that is the fact that uh, people are scared. I get calls every week from brokers asking me and from business people asking me, Bart, what's happening to the tax law? Are they going to raise the corporate rates? Are they going to raise the individual rates? And so many businesses, business owners say, Bart, I'm tired. I've been fighting this thing constantly. I'm scared that the taxes are going to go up. I want to get out. Uh, so it's a Absolutely. tremendous opportunity for business brokers uh, to get clients that are getting getting on an age and also tired. I've, I've dealt with people uh, recently in California and in Colorado Springs I'm dealing with one now in California and one in, uh, in North Carolina, and in all those cases, the individual, the individual uh, owners uh, are getting on an age and are scared of tax laws increases. Well, Doctor Bates, I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned that because, as you both know, our audience is comprised of business brokers, M&A advisors, business owners, and, and other business professionals. And the number one question I'm getting from everyone is. What significant changes are going to be in the 2021 tax code and how they're going to affect business owners or the sale of businesses? So I'd love for you both to be able to touch on that. All right, well, we'll understand. Roman, I'll pick it up and you can handle it afterwards a second. Yep. But uh, I recently wrote an article that's going to be published on the changing tax laws. Uh, there are several tax changes that have already taken effect in 2021 and 
and brokers have got to be aware of these items. Uh, for example, the estate tax exemption has now increased to $11.7 million per person. That means for a husband and wife, double that amount. Okay, you're talking over $23.4 million. Uh, so it's, it's a situation, it's, it's very, very important that people understand that the estate tax law and the gift tax law are changing. Now, there's a gift tax exemption that remained the same. It's still $15,000, but for husband and wife, that's 30000 per person. Okay. Uh, also, there's a, uh, a, another law that's come up, which everyone should be aware of, and this is not just brokers, but every business person. As you are probably aware, in the past, you could only deduct 50% of the cost of meals. That law has now been changed for 2021 and 2022. Businesses can now deduct 100% of the cost of meals, obviously, as long as they're purchased in a restaurant. They don't have to sit down and eat it. It even includes takeaway meals because Congress is very concerned that of the restaurant business. So in, in an effort to encourage it, they said businesses can now take a 100% per, percent deduction, okay? Uh, and also, another one is just the PPP money. You know there's a second phase, although now there's a problem because they want to extend the amount because uh, the SBA has lowered the loan amounts to $100,000 trying to get small businesses, and they've only done – They've done a very few loans, and so they're now talking about extending that further. Uh, in addition, uh, employers now can get up to 70% of their wages every quarter for qualified employees, uh, up to $10,000 in wages. Uh, and for the first two quarters, of it, 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 it ends June 30th of 2021, unless it's extended, which means employers can get a tax credit, not a deduction, of $14,000 per employee uh, for the first two quarters of 2021. So, you know, these things are just tremendously uh, changing. Uh, the other major, major item... Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, you're, you're fine. Go ahead, I'll finish up. Okay, I, I say one of the biggest items is the taxes on C-corporations. There's a tremendous push for companies to create C-corporations. Uh, just quickly, to let you know how it should happen... Many of the broker's clients are subchapter S corporations and people coming in to buy them, the buyers, the brokers should work with them and not worry about forming an LLC, but they should be considered with concerned with the buyers of forming a C corporation. The taxes are flat 21%. The alternative minimum tax does not apply. Capital gains does not apply. The excess uh, Medicare 3.8% does not apply. Medical expenses can be deducted 100% of the corporations. Uh, real estate taxes can be deducted with no limit. The $10,000 limit on a personal income tax return does not apply. And as long as, and this is extremely important, as long as the buyer owns and operates a C corporation for a minimum of 10 years, would you believe that when they sell their business, the first $10 million of profits are not taxed as long as they're married at the time they sell it. If they're not married at the time they sell the business, the first $5 million of profits are not taxed in the United States. This law only applies to C corporations. And recently, wow. and I'll just conclude with this, recently I got contacted by a person whose accountant and attorney have asked them to switch to C corporations, not switch, dissolve the old corporation, create a new corporation as a C corporation and transfer the assets to it. And the guy was scared because he said, Bart, there's a lot of people that are saying it's double taxation. 
and I tried to explain them, and this is very important for all the brokers to understand. Number one, double taxation only applies to publicly held corporations. I'll repeat myself. Double taxation only applies to publicly held corporations. If you invest money into General Motors Corporation, General Motors makes a profit and they pay taxes. You're a passive investor in General Motors, publicly held company. Therefore, you want a dividend. So if General Motors gives you a dividend, you pay taxes on the dividend. That's called double taxation. Privately held companies do not have private investors. They're owners. So when they take money out as a dividend, not a dividend, excuse me, as a bonus, okay, they pay taxes on their personal returns like they would a sub S, but the company gets a tax deduction at 21%. So even if the owner of a private company, C Corporation, takes out a bonus, they're paying an effective tax of 14%. Now, I don't know about you, but that's critical with the benefits that there are and, and then 90% of your subchapter S's uh, in the United States are now changing, and they're not converting over. They have to dissolve the corporation, transfer the assets to a new corporation. And this law is effective for 20 companies that have created in 2019, 2020, and 2021. And, uh, Roman, you can talk about, uh, for example, the bus company that we handled, uh, because the law says that the amount of deductible profits not taxed in the United States is based upon the year in which the corporation was created, not the year in which the corporation is sold. Roman, you want to pick it up? Right. And just and, and again, and, and these, these provisions are the significant changes that we're seeing in the tax code today. And we have one, one additional provision that is sunsetting at the end of this year that I just wanted to highlight, and that's the Qualified Opportunity Zone Investment. The step-up in basis, and if you're not familiar with QOZs, as brokers and advisors and as business owners out there, it's something that's very significant when we talk about selling a company and what you're going to do with your tax provisions in your deal and what you're going to do with your funding after the deal is over. And Qualified Opportunity Zone funds are one of the, one of the investments that we look at for owners when they've sold their company. The 10% step-up in basis Buyers at the end of this year. If you do not sell your company and invest in one of those funds by 1231-2021, you are going to lose a 10% step up in basis. That can be a significant tax savings to you if that was something that you or your client may be considering investing in. And that code provision expires at the end of this year. So there are significant changes that we are dealing with right now for 2021. You guys talked about tax strategies and ways to to uh, effectively reduce or uh, your your tax um, your, your tax liabilities potentially, but there is a lot of fear, a lot of talk out there from people that uh, that own businesses that they're like, well, I, I need to sell right away or I need to do something because so all these tax changes are coming into effect and and they're going to be effective immediately and they may and they may even go <laughs> retroactive. I mean. So would, would you no, like no, to no, no. either talk us down off the cliff, please? <laughs> yes. Let, let me tell you something. I get calls by brokers. I get one person, I got to say, I can't identify male or female anymore. Let's, let's be politically correct. I get called by a person, probably once every two weeks, scared because that person constantly hears about what's happening, what's going to happen to taxes. Listen, my contacts in Washington, D.C. have informed me 
that there will be no major tax changes, especially of a negative nature, during 2021. There are so many other items on the plates of Congress and the president's staff that they're not going to look at tax laws. Also, if they do end up with any tax laws, they will not be retroactive because they're going to be an increase in tax laws. Uh, this morning, for example, I talked to one person and they said, you know, Dr. Basie, we are considering some taxes because we got to figure out how we got to pay for all the stimulus money and that the, the deficit is going so high that there's some way we've got to stem the tide on that. And tax raises are part of that. However, I've been informed that any tax changes will not be effective until a minimum of 2022. And it may not, and if it's retroactive, it'll only be until January of 2022, not 2021. So I, I tell brokers this almost weekly, not to worry. However, if they want to use it for their clients to start considering selling their businesses, obviously we will expect tax changes in the near future, not in 2021 necessarily, but in 2022. There's a good probability that corporate taxes will go from 21% up to 24 or 25%. Now be aware, that's called the stated rate. Currently, the effective rate for corporations in the United States is approximately 11.5%. And we expect that to rise in the next couple of years to an effective rate of around 14%, which is still extremely low. Okay, Roman, anything else to add to that? Uh, just, just that we do expect, when we do expect the new tax bill, and the general consensus in Washington from the tax professionals that we listen to is that we're going to have a rollback of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. One of the biggest impacts of that rollback is the estate tax exemption, as my father mentioned earlier, at 11.7 million times two if you're a married couple, adjusted for inflation. If that rolls back, that gets dropped in half back down to the 5.8 whatever number it will be when it's adjusted for inflation and it may still be times two but it gets cut in half if that rolls back and then you have to think about i was just talking to someone this weekend you have to think about your state state exemption tax so when someone is selling their company and they're looking at these potential tax changes in the future are they going to end up with an estate tax problem if we do get the rollback of the tax code that we are absolutely expecting. So that is definitely one of the things to think about. We do think it will be prospective, not retroactive. So it's a great time to be considering selling a company, positioning yourself to sell the company, whether it be in 2021 or potentially at the beginning of 2022, hoping that the tax code won't change until sometime during the year 2022 or at the beginning of 2023. Roman, earlier when we first started the show, you said something that really got my attention because we have people that listen. I'm like, oh, this is this is for M&A advisors. I'm a Main Street business broker. I don't need to know this. But you said you're working on deals of all sizes, Main Street up to, you know, up to really, really large deals. So when we talk about tax strategies, right, and you're looking at a deal and you get a call from a client or a broker or someone involved in a transaction, what do you look at in a business or a deal to determine the best tax strategies to implement? You know, that's a great question. And it does go for every size of a business. Because one, as my dad, as my father said, look, we may look at a corporation, you may not even realize it may be a small plumbing company or a small HVAC company, or my best friend, I helped his father sell his moving company to him 
They were a small C corporation. And when we looked at that company, we were able to sell that company completely tax-free to the sun. We start every single deal with a what we call a tax minimization analysis. We are looking at post-deal, post-taxes, after-tax cash flow, and we are incorporating things like seller notes, bonuses, earnouts, purchase price adjustments, escrow release after the deal. This morning, I had a one-year escrow release on an insurance company transaction out in California. We're looking at employment contracts, consulting agreements, retirement investments after the deals. We're looking at a very comprehensive tax analysis of what you're proposing on how to sell the company, how to position the company. That way the seller has a better picture from which to negotiate the, the sale of their business. No matter what the size is, we are looking at a very comprehensive picture to implement the best tax strategy we can, looking at all of those things I just mentioned. Yeah, and, and let me add one other thing, Roman, absolutely correct. I always ask a prospective seller of a business to do this, and that is, what are you going to do with the money after you sell the business? As Roman mentioned earlier about opportunity zones, you know, what are you going to invest it in? How are you going to operate the company? If you're going to sell the assets, are you going to keep the corporate structure? Uh, in one case, uh, I had a gentleman sell his nursing business, and I said, what are you going to do with the money? He says, I don't know. I says, he says, I'll probably invest in real estate. I said, excellent. We sold the assets. We keep his corporate structure. We change the purpose of the corporate structure. The money stays in the corporation, gets reinvested in real estate. He pays no taxes. So when Roman talks about a tax minimization analysis, we've, we also have to understand, and the broker should always ask their clients, prospective sellers, what do you plan to do with the money afterwards? And let me give you just one quick illustration that goes back a few years. I had a father and son who wanted to sell their business. I said, what are you going to do with the money? They said, oh, we'll probably buy another business. I won't tell you what type of business. I thought they were nuts. But on the other hand, when I realized what type of business they were going into, we were able to structure the sale of their business, not pay one nickel in federal taxes. To this day, they're operating another business that they've purchased with the money that they received from selling the old business. And because of the tax laws, you're familiar with bonus depreciation, okay, plus Section 179, where they can write off all kinds of assets, regardless of how they pay for them. They have, in five years that they've been in business, they have yet to pay one nickel in federal income taxes. So be aware that, you know, the tax minimization analysis, as Roman says, the very first thing we do, but doing that, we need to know what do they expect to do afterwards. Remember, when a person sells a business, it's not what the selling price is, it's how much cash they can keep in their pocket after the taxes are paid. Okay? Without a doubt, it's, it's, it's always not what you not what you get, what you get, what you get to keep. So what, one of the questions I'd like to ask you, because I get this a lot, and it has to do with working capital adjustments. How are those, how are working capital adjustments being defined today? Roman, you want to handle that what's one? Important. Yeah, because I think what's important when you're asking about a working capital adjustment, most of our clients, our sellers across the country and our buyers sometimes too, they don't understand how working capital is defined. And guess what? It can be defined different in every single transaction and it usually is defined differently. Sure, a CPA is going to have a textbook definition for you, 
But what we've seen lately are some very different types of definitions. In fact, in one case, the definition was defined in the letter of intent or the indication of interest. And we were brought into the deal after the letter of intent had been signed. And the definition even included $45,000 of monthly expenses to be included in the average working capital that they were using. And in fact, when we got to closing, the way they defined the working capital, it was negative. And therefore, not only was it negative, it was negative $55,000. Then they had to add $45,000 additionally of expenses to cover. At closing, the seller had to leave $100,000 on the table. Why do, we, why, why do you ask the question? Why do we bring it up to our clients and our brokers and our advisors across the country? Because we want you to be aware, this is a term that needs to be very carefully crafted. It needs to be analyzed. It needs to be negotiated. Your seller, your buyer, they need to understand what they are agreeing to. And the more knowledgeable we are as advisors across the country and owners, the better, again, the better we're going to position ourselves for closing. We're going to have less surprises on the closing statement. We're not going to see a $100,000 purchase price adjustment that we didn't know was coming. So that, that's, those are the important features of knowing and understanding working capital definitions. Earlier in the, earlier in the show, Roman, your father mentioned, uh, was talking about some S-Corp to C-Corp conversions. And getting ready for the show, you and I had a discussion, and we talked about recently how you were able to uh, assist a client actually had to correct the CPA involved in the transaction when it came, I believe, to uh, conversion of uh, S-Corp to a C-Corp. It might have had to do with the PTTP, the post-termination transition period. But you mind sharing that with us? Because that was a very interesting story. Yeah, you know, and what my father said earlier as a, as a precursor to it, when the tax law changed and C-corporation rates dropped to 21%, we were being inundated with questions of, do we convert to S-corps or C-corps? And recently, we're working with a company in the Midwest, and that question came up, and we analyzed the conversion, and we showed them where, yes, you will save a tremendous amount of tax by switching from an S-Corp to a C-Corp because of the way you run your business. And immediately what happened, and this happens in deals, right? Their local CPA that had been handling the business for many, many years says, no, 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 you can't make that, you cannot make that transition. You are now outside of the allowed transition period. And what, and again, we call it, as Press, you, as you just introduced, we call this transition period, when you are transitioning from S-Corp to C-Corp, there is what is called a post-termination transition period. Now, what that CPA was referring to was something that was buried in the, in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that told an S-Corporation, you only have two years to do this transition from S-Corp to C-Corp and be able to distribute your S corporation earnings tax-free because you've already paid tax on them as an S corporation. Therefore, you have two years to distribute these earnings tax-free. And the local CPA told our client, you cannot convert or you will now pay tax on those earnings that you've already paid tax on 
because you had to do it by December 17th of 2019. You're outside of a two-year window that ended on December 17th, 2019. As soon as we got that statement, as we typically do, we told ourselves, look, we know that you can always convert from S-Corp to C-Corp, from C-Corp to S-Corp. Yes, there are ramifications, but surely the statement in the law wasn't a cure-all, wear-all statement where you can no longer convert ever again. And that is what the local CPA had told the client. You missed the window. You can no longer convert. You will pay tax. No. The post-termination transition period, when you go back into the law and then you look at the previous law and you look at the regulations and you look at the interpretation of the regulations, now the old law comes into effect. Now you're back to a one-year post-termination transition period. So now when you make the decision to go from S-Corp to C-Corp, which happens, by the way, to be today, the day of producing of the podcast is is the 75th day after the end of the year, which you have to make the decision today to be counted within this calendar year. And then you have the full year to distribute your earnings from your S corporation and not pay tax on them. Now, if you miss the one year window, then you will, then you've lost the ability to take out those previously taxed distributions and take them out tax free. We, show, we give you this story, and you and I talked about this, because we want everyone to understand the importance of good, solid tax advice in a transaction, in a restructuring, because most people out there will read line one of a tax code, and they will not read the fine print that goes along with those tax codes and those tax articles to understand, oh, by the way, there's more to the story than line one. You know, I, I kind of liken it to uh, one of my favorite football players, maybe you like him or not, but Tom Brady just signed a four-year extension in football. But you know what? It's not really a four-year extension. Read the fine print and you'll find out what I mean. But the tax code is the same way. You have to read the regulations. You have to read the tax court cases to understand why are they telling us we can no longer do an, an, uh, a transition from S-Corp to C-Corp. Oh, but wait, we can. Look what Roman just said. We do know we still have it available to us. It's amazing that um, someone could sum up one line uh, and say that they understand everything on something that could be hundreds of pages long, right? So the one line says it all. <laughs> It does. Listen, I just, I just work. I'm just working, and Roman's with me. We're working on a transaction in North Carolina right now, where the tax advisors to the buyer said there was something wrong. We contacted the IRS, and the Internal Revenue Service said, "No, there is nothing wrong. Everything is done absolutely correct. All the tax returns filed by the seller are correct. There's there's not a problem." And as Roman said, the tax advisors for the buyer did not understand what were, what was happening and what was going on. And it's it's the broker just was beside himself, just didn't know how to react. As a matter of fact, one of my calls today is to that broker to let that broker know we are all set to go, everything's ready, the seller's happy, and he's got to notify the buyers that there's absolutely no problem. As a matter of fact, we not only have the, IR, the Internal Revenue Service who verified what we've done, but we've got the person's name, their number, and it was a video call that's been recorded. 
So we have absolute proof that the, the, the tax advisors, as they call themselves for the buyers, whether they're CPAs or not, I do not know, did not understand exactly the tax laws that applied to the seller when the broker put the seller's company up for sale. And, and as Roman said, it, it's a constant situation with us. Well, anyway, I hope that helps. No, very helpful. And, you know, I, I wish we had 30 more minutes or three more hours to talk because there's so much information you guys have. And you might kill me because, and your clients might, might, too happy, might, not, might not be too happy with me because it's a busy day. I'm going to throw in one more question, um, and I'll gear it towards you first, Dr. Basie, if you don't mind, before we end the show. But, you know, I want to talk about or I'd like to hear your opinion on the importance of hiring a tax strategist before, during, after the sale of a business. And when a business owner is thinking about selling his business, what should be going through their mind so they can make an informed decision? I'd love to hear both of your takes on that, but I'd start with you, Dr. Basie. All right. Well, as I've said before, you know, we do a lot of Main Street work. And one of the most important things is, you know, am I going to keep the cash? A lot of a, a lot of brokers misunderstand how to recast financial statements and also work with their clients on what they're going to do with the sales proceeds. Uh, so, as Roman said, one of the most important things that we can provide to start the process, and that is to retain us early enough to, so that we can do a tax minimization analysis, minimize the taxes, increase the cash flow. As a matter of fact, the article I just wrote that's going to be published this month is entitled "Tax Laws Are Changing." quote, we need to understand them or we will decrease our cash flow. I mean, the most important thing is to get a tax advisor for the buyer early in the process and then help structure the deal after a tax minimization analysis is done to make sure that the taxes are as low as possible and the cash flow to the seller is as high as possible, also knowing what the seller is going to do with the cash after he sells the business. Anything else, Roman, you want to add anything to that statement? No, you know, we get this question all the time, Chris. Why should I hire a, you, a tax person, a tax strategist? Are you going to be able to help me? You know, it's, we look at things and we look at them to say, what kind of value can we bring to the table in a transaction? And that's why one of the first things we'll always tell our clients is, look, let me see your tax returns. Let me see your financial statement. Let me review what your tax picture is before we have that discussion because we want to bring value to the table for you. We're not just looking at crafting strategies that may or may not work. We want to be able to look at them and say, yes, here's the value of how it will work. Here's what we think we can do for you. Here's how we're going to, here's how we're going to approach your transaction. Here's how we're going to work with you through it. And that's why I think it's important for us to be involved in, in the majority of the transactions that are presented to us, because we do try to add that value for the business owner, to the broker, for the consultant or advisor to help walk them through what they're going to be facing, how they're going to be facing it, and what do they want to do when this is over? How do, what do they want the tax picture to look like when this is all over? So those are my just closing thoughts for you. So, Roman, real quick, is one, one really quick follow-up question to that is, when is it too late? So they someone sold their business the end of last year, 
and they didn't get the advice of a tax strategist. Today is a very important tax day, but when is it too late for someone to talk to someone like you? Roman, Roman, let you me pick that one up. He asked you, but let me okay. pick it up quickly sure. because I've got two examples. Uh, in one situation, a broker called me after the deal was completed, and I looked at it and I said, well, we can restructure this as long as the they came to me before the tax return for the seller was due as a result of the sale of the business. And this is a true story. As a matter of fact, in that case, when we found the mistakes, uh, and this was after the deal, and Roman and I and our firm was not, were, were not involved in the transaction, uh, the broker called us after the deal because he found out about us and said, can you review this? The buyer's got, the seller's got a major problem. I talked to the CPA, and I'm not exaggerating when I say the CPA said, look, you're not going to recommend you sue me. They sue me, are you? And I said, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I'm not looking to get money from you, although the entire transaction was done improperly. Second example, a gentleman ended up in tax court arguing with the tax court that he had thought that there would be less taxes due. Now, he did not have a tax advisor. I was called in to be a witness in the court case. And the judge says, look, I know what you wanted to do, but the legal documents were not drafted properly to give you the tax benefits. So it's not just the tax matters. It's a matter of also having the legal documents drafted in such a fashion that they reflect the true nature of lowering the taxes for the seller. If the, if the, if the attorney who drafts the legal documents is only interested in the legal aspects of the transaction, that person could be costing that, that attorney who's drafting the legal documents could be costing the seller a tremendous amount of taxes if they're not addressed properly in the, in the transaction. So it's important to retain a tax advisor as early as possible in the transaction. But if it's done after the transaction, there may be some time if it's before the taxes are due. Today, this morning, I got a call on a transaction that's already occurred, Roman, the person in Illinois, and our staff is going to file an extension today because we just got involved in the situation. I got called this weekend, and I said, we'll file an extension. We'll take a look at it. The person sold their business. They, the attorney never told them they had to pay taxes on the profits. The accountant never told them anything. And here, the, the, today is the deadline for subchapter S corporations. That person has made over half a million dollars in profits and never paid a nickel in estimated taxes. Enough said? I, uh, <laughs> yes. Sorry. That certainly answered the question. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's amazing what happens in our business. Yeah. Okay. And I think everyone is, and right now we're in a time period, and I'll just add this as well, that some business owners are very lucky right now. Some of the tax laws that have come out recently have given us extensions to a lot of different deadlines. And I'm talking about like, 1031 exchanges and different types of things, even though we have deadlines of 180 days on this or on that, there are quite a few extensions right now because of the pandemic that we're dealing with. So no business owner should honestly think that it's too late to make a change to a current deal, a, a, a deal that may be going to market or a deal that's already closed. There are some opportunities out there right now to look at every single one. Well, I, I certainly appreciate that, Roman and Dr. Basie. I mean, I, you took so much time out of your schedule today. You've always done so much to give back to the IBBA and the M&A source and, 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 and beyond 
to people to to share your 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 knowledge, your information. I mean, to say the least, today's episode of of, of IBB Insights was certainly insightful, but impactful. I mean, those that are listening today, um, you, you, I know you can hit the play button again because you're going to want to listen to all the little tidbits of information and the and the and the ways that you could help uh, help your clients or if you're a business owner that you might be calling your CPA today and saying, "Wait a second, you never told me about this." Listen to it again many times. Share it on your platform. Before we go, Dr. Basie and and Roman, I, I'd like to give you the opportunity to share with the audience that they may be listening to today's show and say, you know, I have some questions. I might need to hire uh, someone like you or your services. What's the best way for them to contact you? Well, you know, is, Roman, I'm trying to slow down. <laughs> yes, I run the day-to-day operations of our company. And the best way is honestly to reach out to me. You know, my email is rbasey at taxplanning.com. I share that email with our staff as soon as we get it. They're also always welcome to call our office, 618-997-3436. That's our Illinois headquartered office. They can reach us on the web at taxplanning.com. We post on social media considerably tidbits like this. They're welcome to share those with their, with their owners and their other advisors in their companies. They're welcome to get on our mailing list. We do a once a month mailing uh, an email tax advisory. And if they just simply email me and say, Roman, I want to be on the advisory, we'll put them on the tax advisory that shows up in their email once a month. So we have quite a few ways to for everyone to get a hold of us. Someone usually responds immediately to those contact points. And then we go from there. We can explain to them how we get involved in a transaction or in helping their business owner do some planning. I, those explanations are very easy for us to give out. So thank you for allowing us to do that as well. And we truly highly value our relationship with IBBA and M&A Source. We are so looking forward to the next in-person conference to be able to reconnect with everyone in the entire pipeline. Thank you very much today, Chris, Press, for, for all that you've done for us as well. Well, Roman, I, um, I, for many years, worked with my father in business, and he's now retired, and, and, and I miss the days of being able to work with him and doing, uh, doing deals together. And just, I still pick his brain, though. He gets the phone call. So um, I, I, I sat in your seat, and, and, uh, and, and Dr. Basie, um, out of respect, and if you don't mind, I'd love to give you the final opportunity for any parting words that you might have for our audience today. No, uh, the, the best thing I can, and, and I'm glad you made a comment about your father, because Roman and I have a very, very close relationship, and we do talk daily, and uh, while I've retired twice, I'm still working harder now than I've ever done. I think as we get older, we need to keep our minds as well as our bodies active, and uh, be happy to talk to anyone. Uh, Roman gave you the contact information, my email address. I don't like phone calls because it takes so much time, but emails are just b basy at taxplanning.com. Uh, and also, if they contact the office, uh, they're welcome to get it. Uh, I enjoy working, enjoy working with IBBA. I recently talked to uh, one of the other members of IBBA on another program. As a matter of fact, they may be doing a documentary on mergers and acquisitions in the United States. And I talked to the producer of that documentary recently with uh, one of the key members of the IBBA group. So as Roman said, we appreciate working with IBBA. We appreciate everything they've done for us. And we look forward to many years working with them. And I'm still 
active in the process. Okay. Hope your dad doesn't just relax. Hope he he still no. active. Okay. Well, amen. Hey, God bless you both, and thank you both so much for the time you took today. For those of you that are listening in to today's episode of IBBA Insights, if you like to hear some of the other episodes we have, you can go to ibba.org/insights. And if you found this show to be informative and impactful, as I mentioned earlier, we ask you to please share with all your friends, colleagues, uh, and anyone else that you might feel this would be interesting to on all your social media platforms. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I look forward to being with you again on the next episode of IBBA uh, Insights. Again, I'm your host, Chris Diglio, and it's been my pleasure to talk with you once again today.